After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to another Baseball America Draft podcast. I'm Carlos Colazzo, joined as always by Peter Flaherty. Back again on the mic after uh, a week absence. I'll, I'll take the blame on that one, Peter. That's my fault. I had to uh, <laughs> head out to, to Arizona for a wedding and, and some hiking, so that was fun. But uh, it is good to be back on the podcast with you as we record this on October 26th, a day before the World Series starts. How you been, man? I've been excellent. I was going to say it was a more than deserved bye week for a for a wedding and especially some hiking, but I am juiced to get back on the mic and that we were saying before it, but this episode is right in your wheelhouse with we've got mm. it's the inverse of the um of the episode from 2 weeks ago. We've got four high school guys and one college guy, but um this is I'm excited to hear your take on all these guys and learn some things. Yeah, well, uh, likewise, I'm curious to see if, if our opinions change at all as we're talking through these players. It's, it's always fun to just hear what you think on these guys. And, uh, you know, after watching, I guess, a lot of these guys we've seen for a few years now because they're still in the part of the draft board where most of these players are pretty prominent as underclassmen and a few of them are playing up uh, at events in previous years. So you have a somewhat formed opinion on the players, but it's always nice to, to talk through them in detail with someone that you maybe haven't spoken at length about them, just to see if like your beliefs are challenged or you have any uh, thoughts on the players that maybe you, you didn't think of before on your own. But yep, today we're going through five more players on our current draft board. Um, like you said, four preps, one college player. Um, we're in that 11 to 15 range. If you guys like wanted to follow along with us as we go through this on the podcast, you can look at our 2024 Top 100 Draft Prospect list on the site. Uh, it's there now. Again, we will be updating this list. I think even as we talk through these players, we've talked about some movement that that's probably going to happen uh, whenever we do update on our next list. But uh, let's get into it, I guess. The first guy we have up is outfielder Derek Curiel out of the powerhouse Orange Lutheran High School in Southern California. He's an LSU commit, like a lot of these players that we've talked about um, already and will continue to talk about in the future are. I think, so just to, to set this one up for you, Peter, I think you might be aware of this, but Curiel was kind of very early on my guy in this class. I think it's a function of just seeing him play as a sophomore, I believe, when Mikey Romero was uh, in his draft year a shortstop for Orange Lutheran, just watching his swing at such a young age, I was fully bought in. Uh, I thought his swing at the time was better than Romero's, who was obviously a first-rounder in his own right. He always performed in-game for me. It was so loose and easy and fluid, and I thought there was surprising pop, just given how wiry and thin his frame was at the time. I was excited to see how the strength gains came for him over the next few years. And I think... Curiel entered this summer as maybe one of the top players in the class. We obviously have a high school player in front of him and Connor Griffin, but he's number two on the board. I think Ben said that there was like a group of three or four uh, that you could make serious cases for as a number one player in the class. I would have told you Curiel was my number one player in the high school class. I'm not so sure that I would make that case as strongly now. He had a bit of a down summer, um, didn't perform quite as well as he is used to performing I don't think the strength gains have really actualized um, at this point. Hopefully next spring he'll come out a little bit stronger. But um, if Curiel's not hitting, uh, I think there are some questions in the profile because he's not this super toolsy player like a Connor Griffin really is. It's more average or fringy run times. Uh, he's a solid defender in center field, but I think he, 
he gets to that defense through instincts and route running ability more than like pure blazing speed. Um, the arm strength is fine. It's nothing great. Um, so yeah, it's like if, if you don't have conviction, the hit tool, I can see where you would have a lot of questions and because he didn't have a great performance this summer, uh, I am curious how the industry is going to look at him. I almost view him a little bit like Bryce Terang a few years ago, lean, skinny, Southern California, pure hitter, uh, who just doesn't have the most explosive tools. And Terang also had a bit of a disappointing year kind of entering the summer as the guy in the class and maybe not always performing as it. But enough from me. What are your thoughts on Curiel? I was going to say, I know he's been a famous guy for a while now. I have, I think he's as the beneficiary of that granted that I've, I've been able to familiarize myself with him, but watching some video of him in the lead up to the podcast, I would agree with you in like, he struggled at, at a high level this summer, granted area code USA and all of that. It is a a very small sample size comparatively Mm -hmm. speaking, but it is a bit of a good barometer to see how guys play. Um, I know it was a little underwhelming, but I really like his swing. It looks really good. It's short and compact. Um, direct path to the baseball with decent bat to ball skills. Um, I was impressed with the defense in center field and, and like you, it wasn't because he's some burner, like an Enrique Bradfield type or some lanky gazelle athlete, like a Connor Griffin. Um, it's more because his baseball sense is outstanding. Um, he's got a quick first step, um, knows what he's doing out there, gets great off the bat reads. I think that's going to allow him to stick at the position. Um, potentially. And I also kind of like the idea of, you know, maybe adding 10 to 15 pounds, getting some more impact out of that frame, because I know he's listed at, I think six two, 170, 175. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's definitely room for, for 10 to 15 pounds there to, to get him to drive the ball with authority a little bit more, yeah. um, turn the kind of go from, you know, shoot the gap a little more, put some balls over the fence. And he is committed to LSU. I, I find it hard to imagine he's not going to sign, um, this July, I know a lot can change, but um, interesting to note there. I I think it's going to be hard for, like, again, so much can happen in a draft cycle um, is, you know, better than anyone. But, like, I find it a little difficult to believe that someone's going to set themselves apart and, and take the top spot from, like, a Connor Griffin, mm. um, at least at this point. But, um, no, I'm, I'm impressed with Derek Curiel for the – you know, the defense and, and the hit tool Yeah, um, would like to see an impressive spring from him. Yeah, absolutely. The, the one thing that I came away from this summer, too, was just how passive he looked at the plate. I do think he has a really good understanding of the zone, uh, a good eye. He very rarely is like swinging out of the zone early in counts and, and, and just always seems to be in control in the strike zone. He only swung at like a 33 percent clip in 21 games that we have logged on Synergy. That's pretty low overall. I would have liked to see him be a little bit more, I guess, selectively aggressive. Um, And I also wonder just how much physicality he's going to get. It is a thin frame, and he's just kind of that lean player. Like, there's always a chance that he's one of these Braden Shoemake types who just struggles to add a lot of physicality. I'm not saying that that, that's going to happen with him, but I do wonder because... I expected him to look a little bit bigger in his draft year compared to a few years ago, and I don't really notice too much more physicality um, this year than I did um, like two years ago. I guess 2021 uh, would have been Mikey Romero's class, if I remember correctly. But the, the other thing I'll note with him too is I do think he has really impressive bat speed and sneaky pop now. Like I have seen him use the left center gap to the opposite field and burn outfielders with well-hit deep fly balls. So there is bat speed and strength there. It's just like how much impact ultimately are you going to get with Curiel? I think those that'll add to the questions of his profile. Um, but the good thing for him is he's playing in Southern California. I think players who, who are playing in the South in general in high school have a lot more opportunities to maybe re- reestablish their stock than players who are, further north and maybe aren't starting until April. Um, so it certainly helps that he'll be able to get back on the field and kind of reestablish uh, the elite hitter um, that he's kind of proven himself to be in this draft class. But yeah, I think this offseason is going to be important for him. Uh, and I do wonder with that LSU commit, I mean, we saw Dylan Cruz get to campus. I know COVID obviously was a, a huge factor that you can't take entirely out of this conversation. But with players like Curiel and Cruz, who've kind of always been at the top of their draft class, if they slip just a little bit, I wonder like what their expectations are 
for bonuses and with how appealing LSU is as a college program, if he if he starts to slide a little bit more than he expected to in the draft, um, I mean, I was talking to some scouts and college coaches who were like kind of raising their eyebrows a little bit about the chance of, of Curiel getting to LSU, um, just because that's something that I don't know that people seriously considered entering the summer, and I wouldn't have either. Typically, these top hitters in, in the prep classes just always sign but uh like you said anything can happen in the draft and it'll be interesting to monitor and see yeah and i'm interested to see you know where he gets selected is going to be pretty telling as to how teams view curiel again this spring's gonna be big for him um playing at orange lutheran which is a national power down in southern california you know he'll have no shortage of eyes on him um but i think you know if teams view him as more of this Braden Shoemake type where it's just like, it's going to be tough to add some weight to it or strength as you alluded to, um, like they're going to have to really, really be convicted on the hit tool and that he's going to hit his way to the bigs. If they're going to take him in the, you know, middle to late first round, mm-hmm. um, you know, or they're going to have to believe that he's going to add some power. So yeah, um, interesting player. And I, I'm excited to see him this spring. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Enough with Curiel. Let's move on to number 12 on our board at the moment. That is uh, New York shortstop Owen Pano. He's the top-ranked high school shortstop in the class. Um, really good size. He's listed at six foot three, two hundred five pounds. I think for me, what's always stood out about Pano is just the ease of his game, the the instincts and the fluidity defensively. Um, there's a chance he outgrows the position and gets too big for it. But man, I really was impressed with the way he was able to defend the position, make plays to both sides his footwork the ability to throw on the run uh he's one of those players that it just seems like he he slows the game down a little bit in the field and and makes everything look fairly easy uh i think he's got a chance to have above average arm strength as well um kind of similar to curiel i don't think it was the greatest offensive summer for him in in 38 games that we have logged with synergy he got on base at a decent clip 404 obp uh 18 walks to 21 strikeouts but he hit 256 again 404 with the on base percentage and 389 slug it was a lot of rolled over ground balls he hit about 50 percent of his batted balls on the ground Uh, the timing just never seemed perfectly on for him he was kind of under pitches leaking out rolling over to the the pull side on balls and he's not a huge burner uh, i think he's probably a solid average runner at best maybe will wind up being fringy or below average as he adds more strength to the frame but he is a player like curiel had who has a track record of hitting at a high level as an underclassman and just never really put everything together this summer at least in my looks and in the larger body of of uh, performance data that we do have available at the high school level uh, again he always looks pretty solid in the box in terms of swing decisions getting on base uh, via the walk so I, I think the approach is advanced and he sees the ball pretty well but for whatever reason I, I just kind of was waiting for him to wow me uh, offensively and and that never quite happened during the summer and and even throughout the fall he was playing with a, a really loaded canes um, national team at Jupiter uh, there's another player on that team that we'll talk about and and I was always really excited to see him hit because he's one of those players that you want to like because you see the body, you see the defensive profile at shortstop. He's a left-handed hitter. You think there's probably some power in the tank as well and, and just never quite um, hit for me like I know he has in the past. So he's another one that I'll be curious to see um, next spring, like how he does, how scouts are, are, are talking about him as a hitter and, and what the sort of conviction in the hit tool is because – I think that's the biggest question for me personally with him. Everything else is a pretty appealing package. Yeah, and, and you hit on it well. The first thing that jumped out to me, obviously, was the defense. You, I think it was perfectly said. It's just so, super fluid and slow in the best way at shortstop. Um, slows the game down, comfortable moving in either direction. I think it's above average arm strength, definitely an above average defender. I did wonder if long term he might end up at third. Um, I think. I wouldn't be shocked if that's where his long-term future lies, but regardless, he's going to stick on the left side somewhere. And then when looking at some of these guys, um, really all of them, I kind of made a distinction between like, I, so I sorted with Pano um, between his like Canes national stints in the summertime um, in one bucket. And then I put his USA area code in another just cause yeah. There, the 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 USA and area code is a smaller sample. So with his Canes National, eighty five percent overall contact rate, um, really good offensive numbers. Um, just 
just by looking at the box score and the eye test. And then when you isolate the USA and area code, which is where he's seeing the best pitching, the most premium arms. Um, and again, this is a small sample. We're not talking about anything close to a season's worth of, of at bats or anything like that. So um, I wouldn't read too much into it, but it was a 67% overall contact rate. Um, chase rates were up. Uh, so I think that was a, a little bit of a, a question mark, at least for me. Um, I think that most of his impact right now is to the pull side. But again, though, you've got a pro body at 6'3", 205. He's a standout basketball player um, for his high school. So, you know, I mean, he's a good athlete. Uh, I, again, it's it's going to be a big spring for him. I think that I wouldn't be totally shocked to see him put up video game type numbers, just given where he's playing and not to discount the Northeast at all. Like I'm a Northeast guy and, and biased to a fault, maybe a little towards there. So there are some, mm -hmm. there are some dogs up here, but um, <laughs> you know, he's going to put up gaudy numbers this spring. So I think again, um, how convicted our team's going to be on the bat, because you're going to get a guy who's going to stick on the left side, as we mentioned, the defense is there. Good athlete looks the part already. It's just, do you believe in the bat? So I think he's going to have to, um, convince guy, convince scouts and decision makers as best he can this spring that, you know, the bats for real. Yeah. And that will be tough. in in New York, like you said, it's, you don't see the same sort of velocity that you might see in the South on a consistent basis. The competition, um, is tough to address for, and that's why evaluating hit tool is so difficult, but I was interested to, at least over the, the 38 game synergy sample that I have kind of putting everything, um, in the same bucket, you mentioned splitting it out. He was a much better fastball hitter. Uh, it was an 862 OPS versus fastballs with just a 16% miss rate. If you look at secondaries, so breaking balls and off-speed pitches, that went down to 584 uh, with a 41% miss rate. So um, that's just kind of interesting. I wonder, again, you don't have a huge sample of 90-plus velocity with many of these high school players at all, but also have some questions about how he handles velocity consistently. And, and part of that is just seeing it more often um, and getting accustomed to it. I, I think he has all the tools and the bat speed to handle that sort of velocity. But I do have some like underlying hit tool questions with Payno, just given the, the fact that I, I haven't seen him at his best. And I know he's hit better than he did uh, this summer. But like everything about him, and he's one of those players where if he comes out strong, if he has like a Sammy Stafura sort of spring where people are raving about how he looks um and he's hitting some tanks um it'll make it a little bit easier to to fall in love with with the entire package so that's owen Payno, another high school player in this class who not really like going out there and, and taking the class by the reins but but has a lot of things to like in the overall profile and any last thoughts on him before we move on to our one college player of the group no i mean i think you summed him up perfectly cool all right, well, uh, let's move on to Brady Montgomery. I'll let you go first with Montgomery, Peter, since uh, I've kind of been taking the reins with a lot of these high school players, and, and the college game is your your expertise. So why don't you uh, <laughs> tell us a little bit about one of the most exciting um, two-way players in the class? Gladly, no. I mean, players, I know yeah. you know uh, Braden Montgomery really well, as I'm sure a lot of our listeners do as well. One of the more, I'd say, famous and known guys across college baseball was a standout at Stanford for two years, um, freshman All-American before he really bursted out in his sophomore year. He hit 336 with 14 doubles and 17 home runs, really shored up and refined the approach and pitch recognition skills, which I think, well, I know that was what most people were looking for him to do um, to maximize that offensive profile and production um, between his freshman and sophomore years, and he did just that. Um, walk rate skyrocketed, really sliced the strikeout rate, um, it's plus power to, to all fields from both sides of the plate. He's a switch hitter, um, tons of bad speed with Montgomery. I mean, he's a good athlete again, six, three, two fifteen. The calling card with him though, is for as vaunted and, uh, and prolific a hitter as he is at the plate. I think it's the defense with him. Um, he's a good defender in right field. It's a borderline 80 grade arm. It's the closest thing to an 80 arm. I think that we're going to have in this year's draft. Um, he'll obviously stick at the position. And then there's also a track record of performance with Wood. He had a nice stint for Yarmouth Dennis on the Cape this summer. He had 340 with five extra base hits in 14 games, was a two-time Team USA guy. Um, and he also has some experience on the mound, not a ton, just 32 um, and two-thirds total collegiate innings. Um, but surprisingly, a, a pretty athletic motion on the mound with a clean arm stroke. The fastball is the, the calling card with him. 
uh, premium velo. It's 95 to 98. He's touched 99 routinely. Tons of carry through the zone. Uh, just lacks command and control at times and in, in, in just overall field of pitch. So I think that unsurprisingly, his his long-term future is is as a hitter only, but it's going to be a nice card, I think, for the A&M coaching staff this spring to have in their back pocket to trot him out in the eighth or ninth inning. And if you can get him living around the strike zone and dominating the strike zone, um, he's going to be a very, very effective reliever for them. So I think that I'm probably highest on Montgomery out of the five players we're talking about today, maybe second highest, but um, I really like him a lot. Yeah, the total body of work for him as a hitter is just really impressive. I mean, in, in two seasons with Stanford, it's 315, 414, 603, 35 home runs. He had 18 as a freshman. He had 17 this past spring, 30 doubles. You mentioned the uh, jump in the walk rate year over year. It was a 6.6% walk rate, which is quite low as a freshman in 2022. That jumped basically 10 points to 16.5% in 2023 he does have a little bit of miss um in the box it was a 31 percent miss rate over those two seasons 26 percent chase rate so i think that's a perfectly respectable chase rate maybe a little more swing and miss than you would like to see but what sort of a hit tool do you think you're getting with Braden montgomery because just looking at the profile it seems like more power in obp at the next level i'm curious like how how excited are you about the pure hit tool do you have any concerns about contact it seems like the biggest questions i would have are like how does he handle quality spin and quality off speed at the next level it seems like he really has just demolished uh most of the fastballs including like 92 plus mile per hour fastballs that he's seen and and that is a little bit bigger of a sample than we can talk about with these high school players so what are your thoughts on just the the pure hit tool and some of the, the maybe nitpicks you could have there if you wanted to yeah, I think you're getting a hit tool that's in development, that's in progress. You mentioned right now that, and I think it's accurate, that he is power over hit right now. It is plus power from both sides of the plate. But I think what is notable is that he has cut down the miss rate and he has cut down the chase rate year over year between his freshman and sophomore years at Stanford. And if that can take another jump, I probably have more faith in the overall hit tool long term. I'd say right now, you know, professionally, it's it's average, maybe a tick above average, um, but it's it's without a doubt plus power, double plus arm, um, and I think that those tools are obviously going to stick. I think that if the hit tool can take another leap and establish itself as as firmly above average, and teams can be convicted on it, that's not out of the realm of possibility that you know he can go in the top ten overall in this year's draft. But I would agree with you right now that it it's developing and, and still needs refinement and more, um, you know, needs to take another step forward, but he did it between 22 and 23. Um, it'll be curious. I'll be interested to see if he can do it between 23 and 24, especially now transitioning to the sec, which for my money's worth, uh, like the PAC 12, honestly might be the most polished baseball college baseball i'd say oh don't uh, don't give kyle any more ammunition peter he loves to talk <laughs> about how the the west coast game is so much more polished and and advanced than than the east coast don't give him that ammunition. <laughs> like at least maybe from a pitchability standpoint i'm just very <laughs> impressed with pac-12 pitching but it's going to be yeah. um very i'm i'm excited to see him against you know mm. sec pitching um yeah power on power this pitching. year with him will be fun exactly so it does seem like in terms of lefty versus righty uh, as a hitter, the results are a little bit better as a left-handed hitter, which is the side that you would want. Um, you're going to be facing a lot more righties uh, than you are lefties. Do you see any noticeable gap in his lefty swing versus his righty swing? Is he a true switch hitter at the next level? Um, obviously, he's been doing it for a long time. I think it's hard to knock the, the production. Um, but, but do you view the swings as noticeably different uh, on either side? Um, you know, not totally. I know from the left-hand side this year at Stanford, um, I think he hit 367 and then just 258 from the right, which um, is a, a little bit concerning, I'd say. Um, but again, where he's been reasonably productive from the right side, um, I think the teams are going to probably stick with him switch hitting. Um, you know, just he's been doing it for so long and, and the, he has the results to boot. But from a personal standpoint, I do prefer him from the left side. Obviously, that's where he's most productive. Yeah. Um, I think that the swing the swing is just a little bit more clean. Um, there's a little bit more bat speed there. 
Um, and I think he just sees the ball better, obviously, from the left side. So that's obviously that's definitely where I prefer him. Um, yeah. So I'm curious to see how that's handled in professional baseball. Yeah, it's funny how the switch hitters, it, it feels like the lefty swing is always better. Maybe that's just part of the, <laughs> we're always talking about how lefty swings in general seem to look more aesthetically pleasing than right-handed swings for whatever reason. But it is funny how it always seems like it's it's always the lefty swing. I guess Ozzy Albies is the one notable exception. But uh, yeah, Montgomery will be fun to watch. I am endlessly like, excited about him on the mound for whatever reason, which is not typically my MO. I'm, I'm more of the generally like pick one side and, and really excel at that uh, a la like Bryce Eldridge, Paul Skeens. Uh, I know there's another player recently who I was like, oh, like Cam Caminiti, who we'll talk about in the future, a number of players in this class that I think probably should just focus on one side. But I, I just can't shake the uh, the look I had in person of Brandon Montgomery throwing as an underclassman with Team USA. It, it, like you said, it's near an 80-grade arm if it's not an 80-grade arm. Um so I'm curious to see what sort of pitching role he's going to be in with Texas A&M. And if there are any teams that will consider drafting him as a two-way player. I know for you, he's solidly a hitter first uh, and, and probably has the most upside as a hitter at the next level. But man, it's it's hard for me to just shake that look I had on him on the mound. Yeah, I, I while I do like him better as a hitter, um, and I think a lot of people do, I, I'm with you in that it, his pitching ability... Um, is really, really intriguing. Like, you don't often come across a guy that moves well on the mound. It's a clean clean arm stroke, premium fastball velocity. He's just got to learn how to, like, essentially just learn how to pitch. And, I, and I'm curious to see whichever organization drafts him. I'm sure that at least at the complex or, you know, on the side, they're going to try and work on the pitching before they completely eliminate it. Because when you have someone who moves like that with, with that type of arsenal, um, I think it'd be a, a, a little bit, you know, premature to completely, you know, nix that right after you draft him. So I, I'm curious to see if A&M, they've got a great staff. And then obviously once he gets in a pro org, you know, how, how he's able to, how he's able to develop on the mound. I think that's going to be a, a, that's a fun wild card to his profile. Absolutely. But I think to your original point, it is a pretty special combination of physicality tools college production as a hitter and that wood bat track record that you mentioned as well i mean hitting 340 429 472 in a brief stint in the cape um this summer i think goes a long way to like helping you feel convicted in the hit tool if you needed to be so montgomery maybe the the toolsiest player that we're going to talk about on today's podcast again like you said it wouldn't be shocking if he just continued to perform and moved into that top 10 range i mean he's not too far out of it right now um, but yeah, I think he's a player that I've just kind of slowly liked more and more as a hitter. Um, and I will be really excited to see what the hit tool specifically looks like in the sec. How much miss are we looking at? Does he continue to improve that approach, um, after a, a sizable step forward and, and walk rate last year? So a really fun player. Yeah. Big time. And I think one more point and it's a, a little bit of an underlying one. It's it's excellent makeup, um, both in in having the the privilege of speaking with him, and then also just kind of how he handles himself. It's it's double plus makeup, and I think that nowadays, especially in the world of college baseball, doing what he did, where he did both the Cape and Team USA two years in a row, I think that speaks a lot and speaks volumes towards his love of the game, just him wanting to to chase at bats and and play against the best as much as he can. Um, I think that's a big check um, in the positive category for Montgomery. So um, just an, an overall really exciting package. Yeah, no doubt. All right. Well, that was Brandon Montgomery. Let's move on to our next player, uh, PJ Morlando, an outfielder, first baseman from South Carolina, uh, previously catcher as well. So kind of a unique um, I don't know if I would describe him as a versatile defender, but he has played a number of different positions. And I think the defensive role for him is going to be the biggest question moving forward what what doesn't seem to be much of a question at all is the offensive value he brings ben wrote previously that he's arguably the most dangerous offensive threat in the 2024 class and i think he certainly proved that this summer he hit well in really every event that he was at uh, he also led usa baseball's 18u national team in every slash category uh, he hit 409, 500, 591 
um, with USA Baseball in nine games. His his overall sample uh, in 29 other games logged in synergy is quite exceptional overall. He doesn't chase. He makes a ton of contact. He destroys fastballs. He has a ton of raw power. I think he's probably the best hit power approach combo in this class. And because of that, I wouldn't be at all surprised if he was the top high school player on the board on our next update. I'll be really curious to see like how scouts think through that when we, we kind of push to them, like who do you view as a top player in the high school class? Because that was a question I asked consistently all summer. And, and I don't think anyone has like one obvious clear answer, but for me, just given some of the questions we have with some of the other players that we've talked about in the high school ranks this high up, like Morlando is the one guy who's gone out and does it. He looks the part. It's extremely physical, six foot three, 200 pounds. Um, it's huge raw power, but he's not like selling out to get to that in games. It's a really advanced approach. He tracks pitches well. Like I said, the miss rate is really impressive. It's it's a 12% miss rate in 29 log games in 2023. That's pretty exceptional. Again, small sample size with all these players, but that's a better miss rate than a lot of the hitters in this class who you view as like these sort of contact-oriented slappy hitters. And he has significantly better raw power than most as well. So just really good production overall. Uh, and then it's a matter of like, where does he play? He's played center field for the Canes. He's played corner outfield. He's played first base. Again, he has a history of catching. I don't think too many teams are viewing him as a catcher moving forward. Um, so that that element of it will be interesting. But if I was going to pick out one hitter um, that I'm convicted in on the prep ranks, it would be P.J. Morlando. To your, exactly. I think, you know, to your point, if for my money's worth, Morlando is the best pure bat in the high school class. I find that at this point, at least a little tough to debate Griffin, obviously the tools toolsiest, but I'm not sure whose bat you can take over Morlando. You mentioned mm. it. The, the bat to ball skills are excellent in isolating just his, his summer and fall with the Canes. It was an 89% overall contact rate, 94% in zone contact rate. Sound approach as well. Sometimes we'll expand against elevated heaters, but nothing that's like, you know, too much of a red flag with the approach super super strong and physical kid like he's built like a house and in the best way possible it's 6'3 205 tons of physicality in the lower half a little bit of a unique operation that he goes no stride Mm -hmm. um, but he makes it work he sits on his backside to start but he transfers his weight really well consistently tons of wrists and forearm strength with with borderline double plus bass feed Um, again though the only question um and i i also had it in watching video with him is is he a first baseman or an outfielder i think that regardless of the defense teams are going to be convicted enough on the bat where they take where they don't let it slide past you know probably you know the middle of the first round or somewhere thereabouts i'd i'd find that relatively hard to believe um it's just a, a really really special offensive package um you know, I, I don't think you come across super often that are high school kids that are true plus hit plus power. Um, but I wasn't super like enamored with what I saw in right field. There's a little bit of arm strength there. I think it's borderline above average arm strength. Um, but just kind of how he moves out there, um, the routes he took to the baseball I wasn't like blown away and, and super impressed like I was with a Derek Curiel. That's not a knock on, on PJ at all, but um, just kind of say, saying what I saw in video. And then, you know, if he's isolated at first base, it's a little bit of a ding on the profile, but again, you're not going to, you're not going to pass on the bat for too long. I'm curious where you lie on him defensively because I really am on the fence. Mm. Yeah, I think that he'll probably be drafted as an outfielder just because whoever takes him, I think, will give him a chance to play out there. I was really trying to lock in in, in Jupiter uh, for him defensively. Again, he, he was playing with Dante Nori, um, so he didn't play center field consistently. He did get a few innings, which is almost surprising considering the fact that Nori was on his team. I never saw any real good chances for him in the outfield, which was a bit of a bummer. I, I thought he moved around really well at first base like he looked like a a better than average athlete at that position he's got a big target there i think he moves relatively well underway it's not the quickest guy i think it's a bit of an odd stride he kind of is this upright heel striker um so so i don't think you're gonna i think he's a corner guy ultimately even if he's gotten a few few games in center field um 
I just don't feel like I have enough reps of him fielding in between balls or challenging balls to, to get a good read on what position he's going to play. The thing that I like about Morlando is even if he's a first baseman, it doesn't really diminish my enthusiasm about him as a player because I, I am so convicted in his hitting ability. I think he has the power to profile at that position. Um, if you look at the track record of high school first baseman drafted in the first round, there are not a ton of players. It's just four in the bonus pool era. 2022, the Rays drafted Xavier Isaac, who who certainly has the power to profile at that position. 2017, it was Nick Prado. Uh, 2015, it was Josh Naylor. 2013, it was Dominic Smith. I'm actually curious if Tristan Cassis was drafted as a third baseman because he should be showing up here, and he's not. But really quickly, yeah. I guess the Red Sox drafted Cassis as a third baseman, which is a little annoying when teams draft players like that at these positions because it messes with your your searches historically. But yeah, I, th- I think the defensive element will be the biggest question. I think probably the most likely outcome is first base, but I wouldn't give him... I would give him every opportunity to play a corner outfield spot, um, and I think he has the athleticism to, to maybe do that. But uh, yeah, I would say a lot of uncertainty there for me still. I'm in agreement, and... And, and he is, as you mentioned, you alluded to athleticism. Even if he ends up at first base long-term, he is by no means like a clunker. Like he he moves well. Um, like he is athletic enough in, in what I saw, even, you know, routes to the baseball aside. And granted, they may have not even been the best looks because I'm just on synergy. So I think that's an important disclaimer. There's nothing in my mind like an in-person look. But yeah, it's um, hard to see know, like first steps and everything on, on synergy. Right. Like he, he, he's like a decent athlete and a good athlete, but um, you know, again, I just, I I can't help but get, you know, completely hooked and bought in on the offensive package. Like it's a pro approach plus bat to ball skills, track record of performance, performing at the highest level. Like, Mm. I mean, he's got it all. And I think that again, regardless of where he ends up, I mean, I have faith and I know that teams will have faith that he's going to hit his way to the big leagues and, and potentially be an impact middle of the order type bat when all said and done. Yeah. And I just want to revisit one of the first points you made and that's the, the unique setup he has at the plate. I think it was a good comment by you to mention it. He, he does have an odd stance. It's super wide, super spread out. There's no stride, but his ability to just generate force from that position, I think is really impressive and, and just speaks to the strength that he has. I mean, at the high school all-star game, uh, which was tied to MLB's all-star game, I know they were giving these kids juiced bats, but he was hitting balls further than anyone in the, in the Futures game hit balls in batting practice. Um, so I think there's a real chance for like 70-grade raw power in the future mm. with him. He's a he's an extremely strong player. And, and again, I don't think he's the sort of player who in games is actively trying uh, to hit the ball as far as he can. It's a really advanced approach. But I would be very curious what the power ceiling is with him because... He's hit a few balls very, very far, uh, and in BP, he can show it off. So just a, a fun player. Uh, and again, as we talk through them, he's probably the most like enthusiastic. Like, we're, we're probably more enthusiastic about Morlando on the high school side than, than any other player we've talked through, I believe. I'm with you, too. And, and like, even really like Sands, Connor Griffin, probably the guy I'm most excited about in the prep class, maybe even including Griffin, just that's how much mm-hmm. I believe and I'm excited about Orlando's offensive profile. Yeah. All right. Um, I guess we can move on from Orlando in that case. Uh, a lot of good things to say about him. Our next player is Michael Molnax, an outfielder out of Georgia who goes to North Cobb Christian high school. Um, we're getting back to the tools area of our discussion. We haven't discussed a lot of like really loud tools with a few of our high school players on this list, but Molinax does have tools. Uh, he's very athletic. Uh, he's plus, plus, plus runner. He's got plus arm strength. Um, he's had solid raw power in the past. Uh, so it's an up the middle profile with an exciting power speed combo. Again, though, just another player who has some offensive questions, has some hit tool questions. The, the swing and miss was fairly significant this summer in, in looks that I saw and just overall looking at his track record in 18 games. Again, very small sample for the high school players, but it was a 38% miss rate, 28% chase rate. Um, I didn't think he handled velocity too well, and I know that Ben was mentioning Molnax as a player who seems like he's made some changes in his swing over the last year or so. There's more of an arm bar 
in his swing now from both sides of the plate. He is a switch hitter. Um, and I'm not sure if, if that has created sort of a timing issue for him or has gotten him into a poor launch position at the plate, but it, it hasn't really seemed very easy for him offensively this year. Uh, although, again, like Pano, like Curiel, he is a player that, that has a good track record of performing, hitting against quality competition as an underclassman. So he's just another one that I'm a little bit concerned about the pure hit tool. I think he's probably a down arrow guy at this point, but at the same time, You've got a, a player that you think can stick up the middle, uh, has shown raw power in the past, probably above average raw power, and with like a six foot, 190 pound lean frame, maybe he can add a little more to that in the future. But he is another guy that I just probably don't have the greatest looks uh, in person. Uh, and, and because of that, I might be a little too pessimistic, but I know Ben was very excited about him entering the summer. Uh, so maybe he can get back to more of that player next spring. But what are your thoughts on Molinax? Yeah, with Molnox, admittedly, I, I probably know the least about of the guys mm. that we've we've spoken about today. But right off the bat, I mean, he's freaking tooled to the max. Like, mm. it, he's a double plus runner. It's a plus arm and center. Like, he's gonna stick at the position, um, which is a big positive. I just like you. I think that the bat and the pure hit tool is at this point a little concerning. Um, mm-hmm. In my biggest area of of doubt with him super high miss rate, super high chase rate. You mentioned the swing changes. Um, you know, I, I think that he's just, you know, he, he's got to try and find something that works. And again, mm-hmm. it's similar to Curiel in California. Molnox is a Georgia kid, plays at, I think, uh, North Cobb Christian down in Kennesaw. You know, he'll have yeah. eyes on him. He'll play against, against great talent this spring. Um, you know, he'll have an opportunity to to kind of – quell those doubts a little bit um but i again i i just i'm a little bit hung up on the lack of hit tool right now Mm -hmm. um i think it's a bit concerning and i you know looking at synergy just kind of isolating all of the the 2023 stuff from the summer and fall with with Mm -hmm. molnox it was big time miss rates uh expanded the zone um uh, again i just was i think i'm a little less excited on the bat with him yeah, they're just there's a little too much movement, I think, for me offensively with him. He's got a lot of bat waggle. It's kind of this crouched, slightly open stance from the left side. I mentioned the arm bar. There's there's a pretty deep hand press in his load. You can call it a hitch, you can call it an arm bar. It's just a lot of moving parts before he's ready to fire that maybe creates some of these inconsistencies. And I just remember talking with Ben. It, it seems like the swing wasn't quite as noisy as an underclassman. So I'm not sure like how that got implemented in the swing but for whatever reason it's it's led to more more chase and more miss than you would have expected of him it's a toe tap in the lower half as well so just a lot of moving parts even in the outfield like he does have a really strong arm but it's kind of an unusual looking arm stroke with this deep plunging action in the back so he's just a player where nothing looks super easy um although we we said it he does have really loud tools uh, and he is an out-the-middle profile, so that will lower the bar he needs to clear offensively. Again, though, we're talking about a player that we have 15 on the board. I think you want to feel a little bit more convicted in the hit tool and what you're getting in the batter's box with Molinax. So another player that we're talking about that I think is going to be really important for him to have a strong spring. And like you mentioned, he is playing in Georgia. Um, he should be seen quite a bit. He'll get started earlier than, than many players around the country. Uh, and I'm not sure specifically for that area but i would imagine he'll have an opportunity to face pretty high quality competition so that's kind of all i have on molinax yeah and we we talked about it a little with montgomery and, and he is a switch hitter molinax and this summer from the left side and just isolating the 2023 performance with with everything with usa um his summer team etc he hit 160 miss rates were you know to not to mince words, they were astronomically high. The bat-to-ball skills were really poor. And then when you look at him from the right side, of, of a much smaller sample, um, but some more positive results. Uh, higher bat-to-ball skills, was moving the baseball more consistently, um, more positive results. It's two, from what I saw on video, two distinctly different-looking operations and swings. Yeah, um, the, the, that like hitch and hand press does not seem quite as extreme or even there sometimes with his righty swing that's what i know seems a lot quieter 
Yeah, it, it is a little bit more quiet. Um, I like the overall operation better. I know he laced a triple from the right side. I think it maybe it was PDP or just the start. Regardless, at a USA Team USA event, I mean, he had a he had a nice showing and a nice swing from mm. the right side. So I wonder about him maybe long term. Um, you know, ditching the the lefty swing. I know that the results this summer were were a little poor, but again, it's. Mm. Uh, an exciting tool set, a lot to unlock, a lot of great clay to work with. It's just a matter of maximizing mm. that tantalizing tool set. Yeah. So I guess disregard entirely what I said about switch hitters typically being better from the left side because that, that <laughs> certainly hasn't been the, the case on this podcast. Uh, I know nothing. Don't listen to me. Uh, but really good point there, uh, Peter. I think that's a, that's a good way to end for Molinax. Um, but yeah, well, I mean, what are your thoughts overall on these five players we talked about? Do you feel like we're getting into the range of the class where you you kind of understand why there's some question marks about it do you think it's just more of a case of like there will be movement on our list and there are probably players further down the board um, that have done some really good things over the last six months or so um yeah just any closing thoughts i guess i think i agree with all of that as is the case with with any cycle there's going to be movement up there's going to be movement down with all these guys um, I think that Orlando squarely is the top offensive profile at the high school ranks. I think it's going to be hard to to ding him any further than, you know, the middle part of the first round or so. Um, but then there are others like, you know, you alluded to it a little bit with Molnox. Is he a, a middle of the first round top 15 type guy right now? Maybe not. Is there a chance with a, with an excellent spring and he cleans up some of these, um, bat to ball issues and approach issues and and really unlocks the offense could he move himself back up absolutely so there's room to grow um, room to fall for really anyone up here um, so it, I think that's what makes it fun to follow but I think mm. Brayden Montgomery is a guy that I, I think is right on the cusp of like a top 10 and then you know Orlando is probably my favorite high school guy that we talked about today with um, mm. with Curiel right behind him yeah, I think the one tricky thing for these high school hitters especially is it does seem like they're almost uh, reliant on college player movement around them. It seems like for hitters, the college players are able to move themselves up and down boards quite a bit more than the high school players are. I mean, just because of the quality of competition and the sample size you're going to get from these players in the spring – I think you can you can take a lot more actionable information from college performance than you can from high school performance. Um, now that said, you can always change tools. You can have massive jumps in your tool set. Jackson Holiday is probably the best example of this. He just came out and was stronger and faster, um, and, and the tools all took a jump uh, in addition to his performance. But I don't think the performance without that step forward in the tools would have quite been the same thing. Whereas there are players in the college game that are kind of more, they have less projection physically. And so maybe the tools aren't going to move around quite as much, but, but changes in performance against high quality competition over a larger sample will allow them to move up and down the board a little bit more often than maybe you can get with an Owen Pano, who's going to be playing baseball in New York or, or even, even players like Molnax who, who's playing in Georgia, but it's again, inconsistent competition in a much smaller sample. So in, in some regards, you kind of need to establish your hitting chops in the summer as a high school player against uh, quality travel ball competition, against showcase competition, When also when all the national evaluators are in to see you because uh, it'll be a little more hit and miss when those top-level guys will be coming to see you as a high school player in the spring. So, I think again, that's an, I was yeah, going to say, that's, that's an excellent point you bring up about the high school guys, and especially – the, there's also an issue geographically too, because at least with like a Curiel, you know, it's arguably the best high school baseball in the country that you're going to find um, yeah. the competition that he's playing and, and the league in which he's playing as opposed to like an Owen Pano. And it's like, I mean, he can't help it at all. Um, I mean, he's, he's playing high school baseball in New York. Mm. Like he's almost expected to go out and hit, you know, put up video game numbers at four seventy five hundred and like, yeah, you know, it, it, it can only do so much to his draft stock. So I think that's a great point and speaks to the importance of these summer tournaments and, and World Woodbat, USA, all that stuff. It's all a piece of the pie, just like everything. But um, I think that's where, you know, as a little bit of a crutch, you know, you can point to like for Orlando, at least, you know, you can say, OK, this kid raked at Jupiter. He raked in at USA. You know, he's hit everywhere. 
um, you know, you can use that when in the draft room, um, it, you know, to a, to a guy's advantage. So absolutely, um, great point. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, Peter, what do you have coming up? Anything to tease at the end of the podcast? Um, do you have any World Series picks since this will be out before the World Series? Uh, are you going to retire if uh, if you get it wrong, I guess, is the more important question. <laughs> Absolutely not. I, <laughs> I I could go on another rant about uh, Mad Dog and like not retiring. I think like you can't say that and, you're, and not retire. But well, uh, um, serious people, serious people. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh, I gosh, it's like at this point, it's so tough to go against any of these teams, the Diamondbacks, the Cinderella story. They play with a chip on their shoulder. They have a ton of fun. Like no one thinks they can win. And all they do is go out and win. And then the mm-hmm. Rangers, um, they're, I think on paper, the more talented and deeper team. Yeah. Um, but you know what? I'll say the Diamondbacks in seven games. I think that they're at, like, I selfishly, along with everybody probably want a world series game seven, but yeah, um, I think they win in seven games. Awesome. I love that prediction. Um, I'll, I'll just diversify the podcast a little bit and go Rangers in five. Ooh. I say it'll be a little bit, a uh, little bit quicker. I'm with you. I'll be rooting for your prediction. I think that one is significantly more fun, um, but I do think the Rangers are a better team. Um, but like we've seen in this playoffs, I mean, playoffs in baseball are a bit of a coin flip. Anything can happen. Momentum means nothing. Um, it's a short short series in the big scheme of things. So I'm just hopeful we get some good games because this, this postseason in general, I feel like has been a little bit lackluster. Uh, although the championship series was better than the first few rounds we had. So um, I guess that's world series. If you guys want to send us your world series picks, feel free to do that. Any, anything you want to plug that you're working on coming up for the site uh, for me, I'm still, I guess we'll have draft report cards out entirely. Um, as you're listening to this podcast on Friday on the site, we had our national league draft report cards, uh, land on the site yesterday as I'm speaking. We've got a lot of notes on high school players who have stood out over this really important summer and fall evaluation period. Um, two parts of that series up, 50 players that you can look through if you want to get uh, more into the weeds on the class quicker than we can go on the podcast. That's on the website. Uh, and Peter has continued his freshman spotlight series to get you guys ready for the college game. But yeah, anything that you want to plug uh, in that regard, Peter? Yeah, as you mentioned, freshman spotlights. They'll be out every Monday and Friday. Tomorrow will be on Florida right-hander Liam Peterson. Been super impressive this fall up to 98. Um, and then also the NL Top 10s, which will be coming out, I believe, starting next week or the following week. Um, those mm. those will be a lot of fun to read. Super in-depth. Well, don't get, don't get too excited about Braves and Marlins, which me and Peter <laughs> had, because I don't, I don't know if that's those are the most flush with prospects systems you'll find. But um at least the reports will be high quality, right? We can say that. <laughs> I hope so. I hope and think so. I know with you there will be. We'll see uh, my first uh, handbook taste. But no, they'll. Um, it's a lot of in-depth stuff, a lot of fun stuff to read coming up. You know, again, as always, if you're a more pro-oriented person or college-oriented um, or even down to high school, there's everything there. So tons of fun stuff coming out every day. Yeah, so thank you guys for for supporting. Uh, if you're a Baseball America subscriber, if you're not and you listen to this podcast, I can promise you that you'll like a lot of the stuff that we have behind the paywall over at BA. So definitely consider subscribing um, if you have not. But again, thank you to everyone for listening. Thanks to the BA subs. Uh, Peter, thanks for hanging out with me and talking some draft today. This was fun. And we will be back next week to talk some more. So uh, take care. Enjoy the World Series, everybody. Um, and we'll see you next time. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois.